I'm Jonathan Capehart. Welcome to K-Pop. Holly Harris is the president of Justice Action Network. Topeka Sam is co-founder of New Yorkers United for Justice. Under normal times, they're among the activists at the forefront of criminal justice reform. But with the coronavirus stalking the world, Harris and Sam are pleading with President Trump and governors across the country to release certain prisoners to home confinement. That's because jails and prisons are petri dishes for illness and disease. When I was incarcerated, um, there's no way not to avoid another person. Uh, When you're in a cell, you are there with someone. And if they're sick, you're going to get sick, too. That was Topeka Sam. Listen to her and Holly Harris explain why the incarcerated should demand more attention than they're getting right now. Holly Harris and Topeka Sam, thank you very much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having us. Uh, so we're, we're in this brand new world of distance everything, distance, social distancing and distance uh, interviewing. So I really appreciate your coming um, on the podcast via Skype and your patience with all the, the, the technical glitches that might happen. But you're both advocates for criminal justice reform. But with COVID-19, you've turned your focus to getting public officials to release certain incarcerated populations from jail and prison. Topeka, let me start with you, since you're in New York, and New York City specifically is the epicenter for the coronavirus in the United States. Give us the view from there uh, on the virus and on specifically your work. Sure. Um So, yeah, as a New Yorker right now, um, in this critical moment, we are in a national crisis. And, you know, our population, the work that I do um, here in New York is focusing on families, women and vulnerable populations like children, sick, elderly. Um, But what we're doing at New Yorkers United for Justice for the last three days, we've been calling for the governor to take executive action to order docs to um, release the infectious uh, infectious disease plan so that we can know what they're going to do to release some people in prison. Um, unfortunately, right now, the numbers are growing. And when we think about incarceration or vulnerable populations, there's no such thing as social distancing. Um, when you're looking at halfway houses, work release programs, though right now um, people's jobs are being cut. I think the other week it was 80,000 un- new unemployment cases were actually reported that our population is not being served. So why are we continuing to lock people up instead of sending them home, giving them home plans, um, whether it's on home confinement, um, instead of keeping people more vulnerable? You know, when I was incarcerated, Um, there's no way not to avoid another person. Uh, When you're in a cell, you are there with someone. And if they're sick, you're going to get sick too. And unfortunately, no. Before you get to to that, I want to, because I do want to ask you about that, to bring people on the inside so that they appreciate and understand why uh, prisons and jails are petri dishes for something like the coronavirus. But you said something uh, earlier when you were talking about, quote unquote, certain populations in prisons and, and, and jails. It's not like you're asking for the jails to be and the prisons to be open and to release all the incarcerated. You, you, both you and Holly are advocating for specific 
people in prisons and jails to be to be released. Talk about those specific populations. Sure. So, you know, just to give a little context, you know, as we do our work, we do look to decarcerate and we don't like to um, differentiate between violent and nonviolent. But when you look at, let's say, crimes of violence for women, um, most women, for example, um, are there if it's violence is because of abuser violence. Right. And so, you know, it's categorized um, differently. So the way I see it right now, and I know Holly would agree, is that we're looking at elderly people, people who are sick. Um, people who, um, women who are pregnant. We're looking at um, young people who can go in home confinement, who may have um, shorter sentences left or short time left in their cases, um, who've been incarcerated for decades, um, who are elderly, who do not pose any um, risk to public safety, who should be let out now. Um, we think about federal camps. When we have federal camps, um, their community, they're categorized as community confinement already, where people can go outside in the community. Why not let people who have home plans be home? I mean, we have a house right now and women are getting sick. What do we, what can we do? We still have to get them to the doctor. We still have to get people tested. I mean, I've been under the weather because I'm out here um, on the battlefield. I still have to deliver food to people um, to make sure that sick and shut in and elderly are able to eat. So, you know, we're out here doing this work, but we cannot act like there aren't hundreds of thousands of people who are locked inside of cages and that that is not an incubator for this disease. Right. Holly, let me bring you bring you in here, because from what I understand, you sent a, a, a letter, you and a, a few other cosign cosign folks. And I can't remember if Topeka is uh, in her organization or among the cosign, but you're asking the president in this letter to the president, asking him to utilize his clemency power to commute some sentencing. And more specifically, you're, you're giving him the guidelines, as Topeka was pointing out, the elderly, terminally ill, people with certain with certain diseases and disorders. What are you asking the president to do? And have you gotten a response? Well, specifically, we've asked the president to expedite, uh, facilitate the transfer of elderly uh, prisoners, um, people with pre-existing conditions who are more susceptible um, to transmission of the virus and to spreading the virus, um, and and certainly those who um, you know have been incarcerated for low-level nonviolent offenses who have very little time left on their sentences to transfer these individuals to home confinement. We're not talking about release. I want to be really clear about that. We're not just saying open the doors, open the floodgates. We're saying transfer these individuals to home confinement. Many of them already have families waiting on them, ready to care for them. Why are we keeping them incarcerated when they're more susceptible to the disease? This will then spread to correctional officers, spread to the correctional officers surrounding communities. And that's why people who don't ordinarily care about criminal justice reform should really care about it in this moment. It's going to impact all of us. Not to mention the fact that these types of prisoners are the ones that are the most expensive to, to incarcerate. So during a time when we're all battling for funding, I mean, Main Street is shutting down. Unemployment is skyrocketing. You know, we've got uh, kids out of school. Um, you know, we're in an unprecedented health crisis. Why are we spending upwards of a billion dollars incarcerating people who are better off in home confinement? It just doesn't make any sense. And honestly, I, I wish for Topeka and for all of us that we had been able to secure better language in phase three, uh, the package that, that Congress um, just passed. But 
Unfortunately, all that all that bill did was um, uh, expand the Bureau of Prisons authority um, to remove uh, nonviolent prisoners to home confinement. And, you know, that's only as effective as the authorities willingness to use it. And unfortunately, the Bureau of Prisons and the Department of Justice continues to act as obstructionists during this crisis. They are trying to effectuate their own agenda. Um, you know, you all recently saw where there was this huge power grab by DOJ quietly asking Congress for the ability to, you know, detain people indefinitely without yeah. trial. And that's unconstitutional. It's just, you know, it's right now the administration doesn't get it with respect to asking the president for relief at this time. That's all we've got at the federal level. All we have is that avenue of executive order where the president could direct uh, the Department of Justice and the Bureau of Prisons direct them um, to start facilitating um, and expediting these inmates to home confinement now. And we're, we're at least hopeful that the president will do that. And, and Holly, so then uh, judging by your response, I think the answer to my second question in terms of have you heard from the president, uh, the, the answer is no. I know that the letter was only sent two days ago, March 24th, but have you heard anything from anyone in the Trump administration uh, in response to your letter? He did take to the podium, the president did take to the podium at one of his press conferences, and he was specifically asked about an ex, uh, an expedited, um, you know, an executive order rather to expedite elderly prisoners to home confinement. He did say he was looking at that. In fact, he was a little bit more, he was a little bit broader with his language, and he said he was generally looking at um, transferring nonviolent inmates uh, to home confinement. But again, we, we haven't seen anything yet. And if, you know, the Department of Justice and the Bureau of Prisons response to this crisis is any indication, we might not. And what's really sad is I know Topeka and, and my organization and so many other organizations out there that are working on this issue, you know, we're hearing from inmates and their families and they are just convinced that the president is going to come to their rescue here. And um, again, we remain hopeful. We implore the president. We beg of the president, you know, please use your executive powers during this time um, to do the right thing um, and do, you know, what's best in the interest of public safety, public health, and certainly in the best interest of the taxpayers um, during this crisis when resources are going to be so important and so scarce. Topeka, do, how I was going to add to that. <laughs> so funny. I was just thinking about, um, just let me add just one point sure. to that. Um, because, you know, right now there's about approximately 166,000 people incarcerated in federal prison. But this also gives a great opportunity to our state governors to also use their executive action on clemency, where that's where the millions of people are actually incarcerated in prisons and jails in this country. Right. So when we right. think to New York, for example, where Governor Cuomo can use his executive power to release the elderly, release the sick, release the women, um, release people who have short periods left in their sentences or even short sentences. When we think about Rikers and closing Rikers, um, and there's 299 women presently who are there because they couldn't afford bail and or they didn't have a release plan, let's get them out immediately. So there are things that these governors can do in our states around the country that can help to expedite the release of people in these categories, opposed to keeping them locked in these incubators. And Topeka, just to put a finer point on it, when you say release the prisoners, you're talking about in the way that Holly was talking about, meaning when you talk about release plans, it's not just to release people, it's to release them in, in a systematic, 
um, and supervisory supervisory rate way, correct? No, absolutely. I mean, here's the thing, right? I, I want what I want as an advocate and as a formerly incarcerated woman, but I also know that we have to take steps in doing this. And right now we're in a global pandemic. And right now, opposed to me standing up on a soapbox and saying, release everybody and we want to do this. No, what I'm saying is, let's take the steps. Let's put people on home confinement who actually have homes to go to. Let's make sure people are safe. They're testing negative once they're being released. And if they test positive, they're being released into medical facilities that can take care of them and get them healthy enough to go home to their families. Right. I mean, a lot of this is just common sense. And I know that sometimes, you know, my mother always says all sense is in common. But right now we have to utilize our common sense to make sure that we are caring for people. And when we think about the most vulnerable of these, they are our incarcerated loved ones. They are our elderly people who happen to be a part of the incarcerated population. They are women and our children and our kids are suffering. Mm -hmm. I get emails and calls every day of worrying about their mothers because though we have people who um, some prisons are giving people extra minutes, right? Where they can call their families they still have to pay for those calls. And if they're on lockdown, they can't work. And if they can't work, they can't even make their five cents an hour. So it's so many levels to this. And, you know, even when we just take the bare basics, the, the easiest thing to do right now, people who are already deemed sick, people who are elderly and over a certain age, people who have a time, a short time, short period of time, five years even left on their sentence, send them home on home confinement, let them um, report to probation or parole. And let us then begin to build those systems and probation and parole can be done with uh, reporting electronically. The systems are in place. People already, already do it. We have things. Let's utilize the tools that we already have, that the system has already implemented, and let's safeguard so that the spread does not continue to grow. Because once that spread continues to grow and the outbreak happens inside of those prisons, we are finished. Tamika, you've mentioned a couple times now that you are formerly incarcerated. And in my first question to you, you started talking about your experience as someone formerly incarcerated. Talk about your experience and how that drives your, your passion and your vision about how COVID-19 could explode in inside a prison. Talk about the conditions there that make prisons and jails petri dishes for something like this. Absolutely. You know, when I remember being um, incarcerated in a county jail, I was locked in a cell um, up to 21 hours a day. Um, and sometimes when there was overcrowding and not enough beds, it was three people to a cell. And that meant we went to the bathroom in the same cell. We, um, if we were on our cycles, we were there in the same cell. We didn't have tampons. So we would put our used pads in the basket and whenever they decided to come around and, and throw them away. But you, you're thinking about bacteria. Many times when you go take a shower, these these institutions are so old and there's mold in them. So you are, it's already a breeding ground for bacteria and disease. And they all, many of them should already be condemned. But then you think, how can I avoid a sick person when I found myself being sick? I mean, let's face it. When I went into the halfway house, I was there a week, a week in a room. And I had got an abscess where I had to go to the hospital and get it drained out of my throat. It had never happened in my 39 years at that time of life. 
But it wasn't until I went into a federal halfway house that that happened. And so, you know, we think about how these dark conditions, no sunlight, no um, fresh air. And so when you have a bacteria, a disease that's already in there, all it's going to do is be a quick outbreak breeding ground in order to infect more people. And then you think about the officers, right? The correctional officers that may be infected that nine times out of 10, that's how it's getting in there because they're sick. They don't know they're sick. They come to work and then they come to work and then they bring it and then they don't want to test the people who are inside. So now the people know that they feel sick, but then they want to quarantine a person and put them in seg, right? Which is the shoe, which is a separating a, a separate housing unit. So now they're in a darker place with no ventilation and it's just a cycle. And this happens regularly. And now that we're having this happen now, I'm just super scared because I'm seeing what's happening just out here in New York in the streets. Right. And so imagining to quadruple that inside of a confined space. So that's why I am so passionate about the here and now and understanding, though, our visions are what they are. And our work is, is driven by what it's driven by that right now in this very moment, this is a great opportunity to our governors and our president to use the powers that they have for clemency, for um, early early release of our elderly, for compassionate release, and all the furloughs, for all of these things that they already have written into the guidances, whether it's through the Department of Justice or through the State Department of Corrections, that they can enact right now. Holly, is there any sympathy for the conditions that Topeka just laid out there at the, at the federal level, the federal officials you've been talking to for years? Unfortunately, no. Uh, we, again, we fail to see any sort of um, indication from the Department of Justice or the Bureau of Prisons that they understand the crisis that we're in right now. Um, you know, the Attorney General took to the microphone uh, the other day at one of the President's press conferences and talked about arresting more people. And that's just not the time and place that we're in right now. And, and look, even if you don't subscribe to criminal justice reform. And I'll give you a perfect example. There's a tough on crime prosecutor in my home Commonwealth of Kentucky, where I am right now. His name is Rob Sanders. He serves Kenton County. And he is every single night going through spreadsheets. He's bleary eyed, trying to identify, um, you know, the, the uh, individuals who are currently incarcerated in the Kenton County Jail to move them out of the jail. And he's been successful. I mean, they've already removed about 200 inmates of the 700 that are currently confined. The Kenton County Jail. And this is a guy who, you know, routinely sends me text messages telling me how wrong I am on criminal justice policy. But he's constantly texting me right now saying he's doing all he can to safely reduce incarceration and to do his part because he understands that this is beyond criminal justice reform policy right now. This is a public health crisis that impacts not just people who are in jails and prisons, but all of us, every single one of us. So even if you don't have empathy for those who are incarcerated, you better care about this right now. Topeka, you mentioned Rikers Island um, uh, a moment ago. And for those who are listening who are not New Yorkers, talk about Rikers Island and why that is specifically a place that is of concern. I mean, Rikers Island, as, as, as uh, some of us know, is, you know, off. It's on an island. So, you know, it's out of the way of where people are. And so it's like as if it's another country, if you will. And what's happening is there's already been um, huge violence 
um, that's happened within those um, prisons here in New York. And so there's been a movement uh, to close Rikers and shut it down and then open up community-based jails um, that would bring people closer to their family, keep families reunicated, and that was in the mayor's plan to happen in the next several years. Um, however, what we just um, learned was that, one, there was a new case that happened and they stated that it was an officer who uh, tested positive. Then you found out that there were some of the incarcerated population that had tested. Then the other day, um, something came out in the news that said two people, um, there were two new cases and that's only what they know. But what we do know about this disease is that many people are actually carriers and haven't received any symptoms yet. And when you are already ostracized and put somewhere else where people don't, they forget about you anyway, now what's gonna happen is they're gonna be more people who are going to get sick, more people who are going to infect more people and more people who can die. And then when you think about, again, the officers who actually do have an opportunity to go home every day, what are they bringing back into our communities here at home? So it's based, it's a two-way street. So if you are actually helping to release some of the population that's in there, not only are you protecting the inside population, but you're also protecting the people who are serving and working in these institutions. And so if we look at at these problems as a problem of all of us, right? This is, we all have to be in this together. We all have to fight it together. We can understand that if we do this together, we can contain this disease, stop the spreading, opposed to doing what's happening now. And unfortunately, right now, it is rapidly um, spreading, New York being the epicenter right now, and prisons are the epicenter of the epicenter. We have to stop this. And, and the other thing to point out is that on Rikers, it's a jail and there are people in Rikers who have not been charged with a crime. Absolutely. Just, they're just being held there on average, what, 10, between 10 and 12 days. And so just for, for the listener, just imagine right. if you, you were sent to Rikers, you haven't been charged with anything, you've been arrested, but you haven't been charged with anything and you are awaiting um, seeing a judge, and you're sitting there in the middle of a in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, I want to get each of you um, to close this out. Um, I'm going to start with you, Topeka, and end on Holly since she's the one who wrote the letter. But Topeka, if you had a chance, you had 15 seconds with the President of the United States. In 15 seconds, what would you tell him? I would, I would say, President Trump, right now you have a great opportunity to continue to do the good that you've done with implementing the First Step Act and using your executive power for clemency. I ask that you go right back to the legislation that you want to approve, that you give people compassion release, you release our elderly, you release our sick, you release people with low-level crimes and sentences under five years. I ask that you re-implement federal parole so that way people can be paroled who've been in prison for over 30 years who should be release now anyway. And I ask that you continue to do good with our people within the criminal justice system. I think that um, if that happens from him, I think what will then happen, as we've seen, that the country will take his leadership and then we have governors who will follow suit and we can get our people out of prison. All right. Holly Harris. I'd say President Trump, you're the one who always says that you are sick of the swamp. Well, guess what? The swamp didn't get it done. Congress fell short in the phase three package 
um, and didn't do enough to address this burgeoning crisis in our prisons that's going to spread all over our country. And so I would say, you know, you're the only one who can step in right now and be the profile in courage that we weren't able to see um, in Congress this time around. And if you're worried about the politics of this, I would say to you, look at places like Deep Red, Kentucky. Um, look at the, the sheriff in Racine, uh, Wisconsin, um, where they just passed a series of tough on crime laws, you know, who is now saying, I will not admit anyone into my jails who has not committed a violent felony. You are seeing the grassroots sheriffs, jailers, prosecutors, uh, judges all over this country working together to safely reduce incarceration in the states. And, and, and so now's the time to take action at the federal level, and you're the only one that can do it. Holly Harris, President and Executive Director of the Justice Action Network, and Topeka Sam, Co-Founder and Senior Advisor for New Yorkers United for Justice. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks, Jonathan. Stay, stay safe. Stay safe. <laughs> it was great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Cape Up. Tune in every Tuesday. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. And how about doing me a huge favor? Subscribe, rate, and review us. I'm Jonathan Capehart of The Washington Post. You can find me on Twitter at CapehartJ. 